You're quite well known for playing pranks on people. <laughs> What's the best prank you've pulled off on someone or someone has played on you? Oh, that's a good one. Hey everyone, my name is Suds. And I'm Sabrina. Welcome, Welcome to, to Zero Calorie Marketing. Today we're joined by Susie, the Managing Director of ESB Connect. We learn a bit about how Susie has eaten a couple of bugs. How, although she trained to be a lawyer, she ended up becoming founder of a tech company. We've also found out that Susie is obsessed with gym. She just so happens to be a spin instructor. And also, how what she learned by going to a Tony Robbins seminar. Let's begin. Uh, the idea is to talk with uh, digital marketing folks and really get an understanding of how they see the world of digital um, and also get to know you, your company and what motivates you to do what you do. Um, so joined today uh, on our inaugural Zero Calorie Marketing mm -hmm. Podcast is Sabrina Jewell, who's our marketing exec and Susie Chaplin, our guest. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. Who is a? Oh, oh we're gonna get to that. And also, yeah. uh, Dexter, the Dax Oh yes, Dexter's yeah. He's now passed out. Oh, so, if there's any strange noises in the background, it's uh, Dexter just playing <laughs> with his toy. <laughs> um. Okay. So, so the firstly, yeah, go for it. Let's start with some personal questions, just to get a feel of who you are and what you're all about. Um. So, who is Susie Chaplin, and what do you do? What do I do? Well, um, I'm a spammer. <laughs> no, not really. Um, so we do customer acquisition for brands, predominantly through email marketing. So not CRM, so not customer retention. Um, we basically have a large database of consumer emails um, and we work with consumer brands and businesses to acquire them new customers um, through email marketing. Yeah. Um, so you studied law at university. How did you end up working in digital marketing? Interestingly yeah. enough. So yeah, so I always wanted to be a barrister. That was from quite a young age was like, okay, right, I'm going to go into law, be a criminal lawyer, um, do defence law, interestingly enough. So um, did lots and lots of pupillages um, and was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Um, then when tra so finished um, university um, and had a master's in international law at LSC I think it was and then when I came out to uni decided to take a gap year um, and go traveling with two of my friends and in between going traveling um, worked with my dad for a year in his performance agency to save up and that was in the digital world and I was like oh this is quite a fun industry like there's a lot going on and it was when the affiliate industry had just started so like voucher codes had just come big so it was a really young industry like everyone in the industry was probably like no older than like 26 27 um so there was a lot of boozing <laughs> It was also like every single week was like events like going out. So it was a really, really fun industry. So um worked in that for a year, then went travelling for six months with two of my friends and I was like getting back from travelling, had 
earned quite well, made quite a good name for myself in that industry. And then coming back from traveling, I was like, right, go back and do my masters. And I was like, okay, so it's like 20 grand minimum of debt I'm gonna go back into. <laughs> oh, actually, do I go back into this quite interesting, fun career that I know a lot of people in it, have got a good base of contacts now, and quite enjoy it, or do I go and make more debt? And I kind of felt like I could always go back into law if I wanted to. I already had the law degree. Mm. I had like the ability to defer my master's for another year. So I decided to defer my master's. And then I just ended up going back into digital mm -hmm. and then staying in digital. And that's how I ended up here. <laughs> um, so well, one of the questions is, would you ever go back into like law? That was one of the questions yeah. like in terms of if you could do something else apart from running USB, what would it be? But I guess that segues into... Would I ever go back into law? I, I, this is a tough one. If I ever... Ultimately, like, weirdly, I always... I actually... From the age of, like, 14 upwards, I worked in a care home. Um, so I worked as a carer up until about 21, 22. I always did um, care work part-time. Um, and I've always wanted to run my own care home. That's my ultimate dream to have um, a care home. Um, so that would be where I would like to end up. Would I ever go into law? The one thing that's always put me off about law, I hate to say it in case any of your listeners are legal, <laughs> is kind of some of the arrogancy surrounding it, and I don't think it always necessarily sits well with the kind of person I am. Um, but then I do like to argue <laughs> and <laughs> if people know me well it does sit with the kind of person I am argumentative like to be right um, so whether I would maybe there is a possibility um, I think if I was to go back into it ever would always be on like criminal law family law medical law that kind of side um, I understand you're also a spin instructor. On the <laughs> yeah. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Um, yeah, so um, I did my personal training qualification this year um, just because I do a lot of in the gym and I thought it would be great to find out a bit more about the science behind it. And then I also quite like coaching people. So I started taking classes on the side and... Weirdly enough, I didn't find actually coaching the boot camps as interesting as I thought I would, but I've really enjoyed doing the spin classes mm. um, because it's a bit more like, because you're actually taking the classes, you've got to program the music with it. It's mm. quite fun, like, doing the music mm. with it. Um, so, yeah, on a Sunday, I torture people. With, <laughs> yeah, I get. Fun. So, yeah, it is good fun. You know, a lot of our listeners are most likely in the digital world, so, I mean including myself, we, I hardly ever do anything outside of the computer. So do you think that some, somehow sort of motivated you to do something physical where you're actually doing something practical? And yeah, because it's just so different. It's so nice to go out of being like looking at a screen and then actually to move into like a different space of like not having to look at screen, like putting on, I don't know, putting on earphones and like programming something that isn't like, 
looking at yeah. the screen is just such a nice like oh it just feels really nice to do something like completely different uh you've also mentioned that uh people like they left a sweaty mess once they finish your spin class uh do you have you always wanted to push yourself and the people around you oh yeah definitely like, like can you tell us a bit more about that it's i always think if you're not challenging people like if people if you're not pushing people to the next level, then like people are only will plateau. You've got to kind of always. People don't know what they're capable of until you push them to the next level. And so we will always go into a comfort zone, and you've got to kind of prod people to get them out of the comfort zone and find out what they're capable of. And I always like say that to people in the spin class. You can always pull yourself back a bit but your body doesn't know what it's capable of until you get to the next bit. So there's obviously a point you don't want to walk out of spin class and throw up. (laughs) (laughs) That's not the point. But then when you've actually achieved something, you look back and you're like, fuck, I didn't know like I could do that. And you're so happy and proud of yourself. And like, it's that kind of grit you've got to get through it and get to that next point and realize like you can achieve that. Um, And like, I always say to them, like, visualise what it feels like if you can, like, get to that point. So, like, I do a lot in the spin classes of, like, really, really long um, sprint sets on hills. So they do, like, <laughs> three-minute sprint up a hill and then a 30-second rest followed by another three-minute sprints up a hill, which are really long. So it's, like, basically six-minute sprints up hills and people are like, oh, no, God, I can't do that. But then I like visualise what it feels like when you get to the end of that. You didn't even think you were capable of that. So when they get to the end of that, they're like, God. And it's like the same in like business. Like it may at the time feel like it's really hard and you don't think you can get through that. But then when you get to the end of it and you look how far you come on, then like next time you get to something like that, you're like, oh geez, like I did it last time, so I can do more than that this time, kind of thing. Um, so you recently went to a Tony Robbins seminar, so could you tell us a little bit about that? How was it? What was it like? Oh, sorry. So we did the business mastery, uh, sorry, day one, like, literally, first of all, you arrived there, and if you had never, I'd, like, listened to all his podcasts, so, like, I'd, like, really, I love his content. Like, if you get past, like, the Americanism of it all, like, it is, like, really, really good content. Um, But I hadn't quite prepared myself when you got in there for the dancing and, like, that side of it. And I knew this one was really focused on the business, so I kind of didn't think it would be as, like, mental as, like, it was. And the days are, like, from... 9am to 11pm at night no breaks so we like arrived on day one and they started with like club music and dances so like you get in there at 9am and they start like rave music um clubs like everyone's up and they're like yeah got dancers up and like i just need some coffee (laughs) (laughs) me and andrew like um look around and we're literally like what like people like like jumping like raving and we're like what um and they do that for like 15 minutes and you're like god and then you sit down and they're like okay 
the first break today is going to be at 7.30 tonight. And we're like, what? It's like 9am in the morning. Like, you must be kidding. And then they just go solid to 7.30. And they're blasting in oxygen and, like, cold air. And you're like, what? Um, But you get through the days and the content is so good. And every, like, few hours they're blast. Um, more music in, get you up, and make you massage like the person next to you, high five, <laughs> hug them. And at first you're like, day one, you're like, oh my God, I don't want to dance to music. By day two, three, four, you're literally like, can I have a dance? Because yeah. it just gets you back into yeah. like, I've been sat down so long. But it's like really, really good content. And they just make you really think about your business in detail, like go through all your numbers, like, and it's really simple stuff, but they just simplify everything, really make you look at your numbers, every section of it, um, just break everything down, think about like processes. But it's more about helicopter in the butt, but they teach you then how to kind of coach your staff. So it's more about look at every element of your business, um, negotiation with clients, um, the value chains, how to prize lead generation, but then how to then go and coach your staff to do it so that you're not actually, you're a business owner rather than an operator. And that was what the real good, because you didn't then feel like overwhelmed, like how am I gonna do all of this? You actually realize how do I implement it within my team, which was actually the better part of it, but it's long days. Um, What was the first thing you implemented as soon as you got back to your desk? better quality control um, and stop just having emails and making sure people picked up the phone more. So especially internally, so rather than being like, oh, I sent an email to blah, blah, to check. They had it, just pick up the phone, let's have a call, make sure everyone knows what they're Mm -hmm. doing. And I've seen when days when people are not doing those phone calls, and just still emailing, you can see where it starts to break down again. And it's like, no, get on the phone. Let's just make sure everyone's clear on what we're doing. Let's have a quick 10 minute phone call. Like stop these emails because people say, oh, well, I emailed it to, oh, I prefer an email. Like call then email. Because people miss emails and it's just like five minutes, get everyone on the call, like a WhatsApp call where we all get on and just be like, are we all clear that we've got this action, this action, this action? We're all clear. Okay, then at email, this is what we agreed on this call. Send it around. Cool. Mm, From your experience, so you went, you worked with your dad, then you went travelling, and then you went back. Um, How did it come about in terms of setting up um, ESB, or like, how did you find that journey from going travelling to working on ESB? Could you tell us a bit more about that journey? Yes, then, so basically, I've always worked with my dad, so Freemax was his performance agency, and so we worked together there, and then ESB Connect, we joined own together, um, and then I'm just in the process of, um, so now I'm the director on that, and in the process of um, buying him out, and um, it's been interesting working with your dad, don't know necessarily if like working with your family is always the best move. Um, so essentially, um, 
Freemax was a performance agency and ESB is a technology platform um, which does customer acquisition through email. And what we had noticed when we were running Freemax was there was a lot of technology platforms coming about in the display world. Mm. Um, and we just saw a gap in the market where email as an acquisition channel was not being utilised as much because people were favouring display um, technologies um, because there was a lot of transparency, they were easy to buy because of these new programmatic platforms that were coming about. Mm. And we were like, oh, imagine if we created a technology platform which did the same as the display platforms, but for email. So basically we were like, should we build a platform? And I'm not <laughs> a techie, like I'm not a developer. Um, I'm definitely commercial. So Pete was technical, so he, um, that's my dad. Um, so he did the technical side, I did the commercial side, and that's how ESB came about. So um, that's basically the start of it. And then through the lifetime of ESB, we've realised that email as an ID was actually the more powerful part mm. um, and that's where we've realised the value more the kind of programmatic um, email platform which we most of our business at the moment actually comes from that side but actually email as an ID going forward we think will be the bigger part of the platform okay yeah. we can tell you can tell us a little bit more about ESP and detail if you want and then we can go on to things like what clients do you work with? Yeah. Yes. What does ESP do? Cool. So what does ESP do? Um, so essentially we have um, several different parts of the business. So we've got, ESP has customer acquisition. So we essentially drive customer acquisition through emails for um, <laughs> Let me start again. Um, so we essentially use um, Oh my god. Um, we do customer acquisition for brands through email. Um, so that can be CRM builds. So brands use us as a way, way of building out their CRM database. So essentially we build them landing pages um, where we collect email data for them. So we might, for example, for a brand like Reese, they might go, we want to build a bigger email database. So we'll create a competition, like win 500 pounds of Reese vouchers. And then we'll drive people to that landing page oh, and collect their e email address. And then from there, we'll then nurture that email address down to its first cell. Mm -hmm. And so the idea there is that most people um, are driving PPC Facebook to the website and that click costs one pound yeah. and then once that click hits their website they're then going to have to pay Google Facebook repeatedly to get that click back to their website if it doesn't convert whereas an email address roughly costs the same but once it's in your database it lasts two years on average so the idea of that product is that it basically builds your CRM database but we make sure that it converts to a cell so um, it's basically giving the same value to them um, by building their CRM database, but making sure it converts to a sale. So that's one product. Or for other brands like Clarks and people like that, we basically um, 
work for them to drive more sales. So essentially create email audiences for them. So women interested in shoes and basically send out email campaigns to our database. We've got about 15 million consumers wow. um, and run email campaigns across a month and target them and drive people to their website on a um, performance basis or on a fixed cost basis mm -hmm. and get them to convert. Cool. So yeah. And what kind of clients do you work with? Predominantly retail, travel, finance, um, so uh, mainly like well-known brands but we can work with big and small clients. Did a campaign yesterday for a mobility scooter client. Oh, yeah, we've got a lot of over 50s data, so yeah, it can be even though we do work with like well known brands like Debenins or like yeah. Ted Baker, Fitflop, um, we also work with some really random niche clients. So mm -hmm. it's about finding like um, the data within our data sets. We've got like 300 data points, so. Mm -hmm people can come to us and like we'll see if we can wow. work with the data to find the right target audience for them. Yeah. So this is a bit of like a jump back, but how did you win your first client over? How did you secure that? Oh, we actually, because I'd been in the industry for quite a long time, a lot of it came through like recommendations. Yeah. So even now, like people will, randomly um, ring because not many people do email um, look that's the wrong not many <laughs> people do no email as an acquisition yeah. channel so people often just get in contact and be like you're one of the few people that know email as an acquisition channel so it was through recommendations um, I've always worked quite closely with the DMA um, so I always been on the email account so I used to do I'm not very good at it at the moment but I used to do a lot of blogging a lot of talks so I used to do loads of speaking um, so a lot of it was around like public profile okay. which I got really bad recently <laughs> well this is a public profile. Yeah, yeah there you go you got we me back have, on track yeah we would have had at least five downloads from, <laughs> yeah. from my family alone <laughs> oh, um, in terms of like, you know, ESP, how do you go uh, go about selling your services, and what's your most um, um, best or you know, popular. what channel? Yeah, what's the most popular channel in terms of how you get your sales through? Oh, so this is again what we're really bad at. <laughs> do you know when people always tell you, ask you like, how do you market yourself, yeah. and you're like, <laughs> oh, we need so. It, Definitely previously it was always blogging and okay. p pushing those blogs out through LinkedIn and um, we were just putting them out to people like Ad Exchanger, like pushing them out through PR channels, just see if they would pick up the blogs and that was by far like the best way. Um, but now um, events, like going along to events, um, cold outreach, um, but really pushing out recommendations, um, so reach out to clients we work with um, and like using our networks. Yeah. Mm. So um, where do you see marketing in the industry going in the next five years, especially with you seeing as you're in the industry? 
Oh, like, so definitely more personalised. So we've just integrated in um, a solution where basically we can do one-to-one marketing across all channels. So um, rather than just using email, you could go, okay, I want a CPA target over here, so a cost per acquisition target of £50, and I don't care what channel I use, but I only want to hit that person um, like five times across all those channels mm. um, and I think that's what people get to They, it won't be about like the channels it'll mm. be about I want to hit a CPA goal I don't want to over market to them mm. I don't care what devices they're using like just to hit that goal yeah, yeah. I feel like channel marketing will disappear mm. because consumers don't think in channels mm. like and consumers think that everything should be personalised. Mm-hmm. So they expect at the moment that a brand should know who they are. Like, So they expect when they pick up their phone, their brand should recognise mm-hmm. who they are when they pick up that phone when, and when they open their laptop and they don't understand that a brand might not know that they're not the same person. Mm-hmm. So I think it will change in the sense of when people are media planning, they won't go, I want to buy some social and I want to buy some display and I yeah. want to buy some TV. It would be like, here's my budget and I want to buy this creative strategy sure. and this is my goal I want to hit, mm. if that makes sense. Mm. I mean, I find it archaic that we're yeah, even, even kind of still talking in channels because mm. the technology is really pretty much there that we don't need to talk in channels but I feel like maybe the agencies don't want to really adopt the technology it's how they label their invoices in terms of it's easy to understand it's what we do rather than you know like it's of course it's all in favour of the company rather than the customer who actually gets their wallet out and actually purchases so yeah (laughs) I know exactly what you mean um yeah, so um, other than that, how do you yourself keep up with changes in the field? Oh, the, the definitely like just reading like different articles online. Like, so, and this is like something I actually went back to Flipboard. The, um, I hadn't like downloaded it for like ages. Mm. And I was getting so many different apps, and like, I don't think LinkedIn is as good. Like, you could, people put so much crap up there now like and so finding like the best content hub um like e-consultancy followed that the drum and i was trying to find like what are the best like sources of content now um and i weirdly have found like going back to flipboard as an app it's actually quite a good app. Yeah. Like I hadn't looked at it for like ages, but it does create all the content quite well, like following all the different things. So found that, but yeah, basically just signing up to good, um, what do you call it, emails. Your uh, seminars and talks. Talks, yeah. seminars, um, following people on LinkedIn, but yeah, mm. just all the normal like... Mm. Not on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Not on Twitter. Yeah. yeah, we have our own theory about Twitter. But <laughs> I don't want to go into that. Um, um, in terms of like 
let's say you were to start ESB all over again, or you were to set up something new from scratch, what would you, what's the first thing you'd do to market yourself? Oh, that's interesting. In 2019. In 2019. First thing to do to market yourself in 2019. I think I would set up a really, really good conference and networking event. Because mm -hmm. I don't think there's, especially in the marketing industry though, it's crying out for really, really good networking event with good content. I don't know if I would even necessarily charge for that event, but really good speakers, um, really, really good networking. Because there used to be so many good networking events. If you went back into the industry like five, six years ago, mm. and I don't think there is like, there was like, maybe like festival of marketing was quite good, but even now I don't know how good that one is. Like, um, there, I can't name any really good shows in the UK conferences the UK, yeah. that are that great. I know like Mexico's going to be great, but I didn't overly yeah, rate it when I went. A, like, um, a few of my friends have been for the last two years in a row and they've just said it's just so salesy that you you know like everyone who's speaking is actually has actually paid to be on the stage yeah and paid so much yeah. like i think i would yeah try and like put on a really really quality event mm. um and have that be yeah, yeah. That. because i guess it's all about the people yeah and like you mentioned that your first customer came from word of mouth and also the fact that people knew you in the industry, so you'd capitalize on that. Yeah, and if you, or even if it was like a series of like good events that you kind of had your name behind, but wasn't necessarily promoting you, but yeah. then people got to know you through Three, that. Yeah. I think I would do something along that line. Mm. Okay. Well, let's say we're jumping a bit into the future now, and you've obviously established yourself what are your top tips for digital marketing? If you have any or if you'd like to share with us. <laughs> top tips for digital for brands or for just in, in general, whatever tips. So let's say your tips. friend of yours was to start a new company. Yeah. And you they would say, Oh Susie, what should I do first? What's the first three things I should do? Yeah, what's the first three things? Forget about website, videos, mm. podcast just the first first thing that they should do. In digital marketing. Okay. Um, top tips. So Susie doesn't want to share. No, no. I mean, like, it's so if they were quite, is it like from like a customer acquisition, like, or? So they're like, look, Susie, I've invested all my money into this new business, <laughs> and I need some. You know, they have. They're starting from scratch, and they've said to you, "What should I do? How should I market myself?" How do I market myself? Okay. Oh, this is a good question. I, just, I, I wasn't sure whether you meant from like a business setup point because I would have like, if you were setting up a business, I'd be like, get a very good financial director. That would be my like first point on that side. Um, how do you market yourself? Okay. Um, on a B2B side, I would, my top tip would find a really good channel partner 
So have someone think about businesses who have customers that you want to go after who is already established and see if you can set up a partnership because that will cut down your cost of sales and cost of acquisition. So see, like we're just establishing some different channel partnerships who can do the sales for us and then we can do the campaign manager management so if you can have like three or four different channel partnerships that will massively cut down your costs mm. and then you can service them so i would make a list of like 10 people that have your customers that you want to go after and then see what you how you can establish relationships with them and then either set up referral agreements that are attractive for them um, and work out how you can work with them. So that would be the number one thing I would do um, in setting up. Um, so number one, channel partnerships. <laughs> um, number two, um, I would definitely look at um, what your proposition is to your client and your presentation and I'm not a massive when people are asking like for debt and like I, you have to have a debt don't get me wrong but when people like send me over your media pack I always think if people are asking for your media pack like before having a meeting it's normally a little bit of a brush off like get a meeting like if someone's asking for your media pack before you're meeting they're not really that interested get your face to face mm. but then when you're presenting your media pack just make sure it's not your features and benefits like what problem are you solving for them and like look at like the whole like challenge yourself so have a think in your presentation like really like what is it that's unique about your proposition and really what's different about you in the market what real problem are you solving that someone else isn't so there's if you're in a competitive market think about something really different about your product that they'll be like oh crap or a real problem that they maybe haven't even realized they have that you bring to their attention and that they're suddenly like oh my god like unless we have your problem product like shit, we're like fucked without it kind of thing. Nice. Um, um, third thing. <laughs> um, get a really slick sales process. Make sure, like, don't set goals, set measurements. Make sure you're really on your measurements. Like, like measure, 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 measure everything and those processes could you tell us a bit more about like some of your things that you measure within your company i mean i don't even think i'm like there with my measurements <laughs> but i mean like okay so say you had like a revenue goal of um say you like walked in you're like i'm gonna hit a million pounds in my first year like if that's your goal think realistically how on earth are you going to get there mm. and you've really got to break that down so if you're going to hit a million pounds how much revenue is that in a month and then think about okay how much revenue in the month how much is that how many customers so how much does the average um order average order value need to be and then how much um 
how many sales then do I need to make in a month to then how many um, proposals do I need out to how many meetings do I need to have to how many outreaches do I need to have um, and how many like outreaches what type of outreaches do they need to be like e.g. like phone calls, LinkedIn outreaches, email outreaches and like really get into the granularity mm. of those numbers and literally put them in a spreadsheet and see how you can tweak those numbers to improve them. Cool. And that's like how granular you need to get and you need to like measure them right. Mm. Some great cool. advice. Yep. Yeah. That's really good. Okay. So this one now is a little bit um different. Can we say what is the best advice or lesson you've ever received in your life? Best advice um, lesson. Um, so, actually, at the Festival of Marketing, um, I watched the astronaut, you know, the one that did, I can't remember what his name is, that did the um, first video from, song video from space. Um, <laughs> Commander, uh, something. He was he was yeah, a yeah, really yeah. Good, like interesting speaker. He actually said you should always visualize failure, oh. because if you visualize how you fail, you can plan for, plan success. for success. Yeah. Wow. So if you can always work out, if you can visualize how you're failing, um, then you can work out how to succeed, because people who only plan for success. Mm. will fail and because they you don't have any backup, backup, yeah. backup plans and I was like that's so true like if you're never thinking about there's a possibility that something yeah yeah can go wrong then you will never expect it and then you panic when something goes wrong you're like oh what am I going to do yeah. um so that's probably one of the like best pieces of advice um, and like you hear about a lot of sports stars that when the, the sports stars that have a massive failure mm. then actually go on to win loads and loads and loads of like gold medals afterwards and they always say like it was actually failing that actually made me go on to win all these gold medals because from then onwards I wasn't scared of failing because then I visualised that feeling of failing and realised okay I've got a plan for that and that might happen and then actually whereas I was so confident of winning I never thought I could fail so I never planned for that wow. possibility of happening. How can someone get in touch with you? Uh, <laughs> so um, they can email me on S Chaplin, so S C H A P L I N at ESBConnect.com. And the website as well. Oh, www.ESBConnect.com. Perfect. Cool. Great. You're quite well known for playing pranks on people. <laughs> What's the best prank you've pulled off on someone or someone has played on you? Oh, that's a good one. The best prank actually ever played, so Piers, you um, no. So, um, once we shared an office with um and we rented the desk to another guy he's in the industry and he left out he was like i haven't done my expenses in ages <laughs> and he left out about three thousand pounds worth of expense receipts on his desk and he was like gonna do them all tomorrow i've got three thousand pounds worth of expense receipts so he went home and left them all on his desk so we 
hid them in a drawer <laughs> and locked the drawer. And then he came into work in the morning at 7am and I got into the office at half eight and he was like, we're in the regions at this point, and he was like, so he was like, it's really bad. The cleaner has been my um, receipts. And I've been in since seven and I, I've basically looked everywhere. Have you seen them? And I'm like, oh, no, no, I haven't seen them. No, I haven't seen them. Are you sure you left them out? And he's like, I'm positive. You're definitely sure you haven't seen them? I was like, no, no, definitely not. And he was like, well... I basically have been downstairs and I got them to call the cleaner and the cleaner is obviously home but I've made him come back in (laughs) and currently the cleaner's going through the bin (laughs) I was like oh no you got the cleaner to come in so I'm texting like another guy in our office being like he's got the cleaner in oh Oh my god God. he's like made the cleaner come in off his shift and then he's like no I'm like, like do we admit that like we've hidden the receipt <laughs> like so then like I'm like oh my god this is so awkward I'm like can you hurry up and get in so then the other guy comes in so we're like looking around the office and then we like unlock this drawer and then we're like oh <laughs> the receipt oh, this. and then he like comes running over he's like oh oh he's like oh Oh, I must have left them in here. <laughs> <laughs> we eventually admit that we hid them. Oh, no. And then he made he marched me downstairs to tell the cleaner like that oh, I had no. hid them. And I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, it was a good prank up until the fact that he got the cleaner in. <laughs> we didn't expect that one to like. We he went all out for Yeah. At least wait to nine o'clock until we got in and double checked. Don't get him in at like seven in the morning. <laughs> so the next segment is just really designed to get to know you better. We'll ask you a few rapid fire questions and please tell us the first thing that comes to your head. Oh. Would you rather have a vacation by the beach or in the city? By the beach. Okay, that's a good one. Uh, card or cash? Card. Summer or winter? Summer. Morning, noon, evening? Morning. Pepsi or Coke? Pepsi. <laughs> really? Okay. Fair enough. Actually, <laughs> I probably would pick a Coke up, but I actually do think Pepsi tastes better. Oh, yeah. That's all right. That's fine. Uh, what's your favourite TV show of all time? Sex and the City, probably. That's a good one, yeah. Classic. Which... Friends character, would you be? Rachel. Yeah, I think we all. <laughs> Favourite movie? Oh. Oh. That's quite a hard one. Yeah. Okay, we can come back to that one if you want to think about it. Um, who would you play in a film? Who would play you yeah, in a film? Yeah, who would okay. play you in a film, sorry. Oh, who would play me in a film? Hmm. Someone funny. Someone funny. Okay, I like that. That's all right. Um, we can come back to that one too. Come back to that one. Um, what's the like your favorite place you've ever been to travel to or just? 
Favourite place I've ever been to? Oh, God. Um, I think Bali would be up there. It's, like, one of my favourite oh, places. Yeah. Definitely would love to go there. Um, ooh, what is the strangest thing you've ever eaten? <laughs> I, I have had tarantula. I have... Oh, that... I, wow. Yeah, and that was wow. weird. That's very interesting. That is very interesting. Tarantula with the hair and everything. Oh, yeah. Oh. It was actually a Mindshare event, like the fu- Future of Food like oh, talk. Gosh. And yeah, it was slightly strange. What did it taste like? Uh, I can't even remember what it tasted like because it just so freaked me out. Like the hairy legs. <laughs> it wasn't for me. Ooh, what is your biggest addiction? Oh, probably the gym. That's a good one. That's a good one. Humming brag. Yeah. Um, What is the most interesting thing you own? Interesting thing I own? Oh. That's a hard one to answer. Interesting thing I own? It could be a piece of art or uh, something that you've kept since... <laughs> you're a kid, yeah. yeah. I'm just gonna uh, bump in and say that the little noises in the background are from our, <laughs> yeah. our, our second guest, Dexter, who's a, a little dog here. He's, a, he's, <laughs> he's currently trying to eat the carpet. <laughs> Most know. interesting thing I own. That um, is quite a hard one. Mm, I don't feel like I own anything that interesting, <laughs> don't own any interest in art. Um, you have some interesting dog toys. <laughs> My cat? Is he allowed <laughs> to be interested? Like, that's a very interesting. They're very, very unique animals. Um, oh, what was the most spontaneous thing you've ever done? <laughs> this podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, I feel like I've done some really spontaneous In Vietnam, actually, I we once like just met some people in the bar when we were traveling and then randomly got, <laughs> they were going on a motorbike tour off the back of that um, Top Gear. Um, you oh, know when Top Gear yeah. did yeah, like that thing across. And we then went and bought motorbike helmets and then rode with them, like nearly rode with them. We went and got motorbike helmets and then the next morning we're like, Hi, we're doing this with you. And then we all realised that that was probably a really stupid idea <laughs> that we met drunk in the bar and then decided against it. Oh, Again. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, 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 no. right. Interesting story. Okay, it's a bit odd. What's your favourite cheese? If you have one. Oh, I do love cheese. Oh, what would be... Mozzarella would have to be up there as, like, one of the best. A bit then, like... It's a, a good, good melting cheese. Yeah, and a good goat's cheese... Mm. But anything with truffle in, I like a good truffle through the middle. That's very good. Yep, I think that's one. Okay, in one sentence, how would you sum up the internet? In one sentence, how would you sum up the internet? Endless possibilities. Mm, that that that's is very true. Good. Mm-hmm. I'd say for me, I'd say just shopping, online shopping. <laughs> um, what is your spirit animal? A dolphin. Oh, that's quite nice, yeah. Dolphin, the smartest 
animals on the ocean, aren't they? I think. What? Them and octopuses. Them, yeah, octopuses. Octopus, yeah. Is that the book? I don't know. I think social, like to travel. Mm. Yeah. Okay, this is a bit weird. This is the last, This should be the last question. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Would you rather have no teeth or no fingernails? Oh, definitely no fingernails. Mm, would you though? Okay. Okay. But I mean, if you think about it, you can always get dentures. Yeah, but you can... We get have your this... fake nails. Yeah. And, and then also, like, you could just paint your nail beds, but, like, your teeth... Like, your teeth. I suppose yeah, so. Teeth has multiple uses. Yeah, yeah, like, you could live without fingernails. Yeah, I suppose you could. I, I mean, suppose you could. ammo upstairs, no toenails. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't know that. All <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, so, thank you very much, Susie, for joining us in this podcast. This was a great chat. Yeah, and thanks for having me. Get to know you and your company better. Um, we wish you all the best, and um, hopefully, uh, lots of people will be listening and getting in contact with you. Amazing. Thanks, guys. Take care. Bye. Cheers. Bye bye. And that's a wrap. Be sure to check out some of our other episodes. Thanks for listening. <laughs>